I wanted to think a little bit tonight for a few minutes on study the genuine. Study the genuine. We'll get into some of the bullet points here in a little bit. But there's been a lot of <coughs> false teaching, false theories, movements that are prevalent today. Yeah, yeah. phones. Unless that's God calling. <laughs> but anyway, there's a lot of things that go around. And we hear of those things, but are those things any different than some of the things we read in Scripture? Not really. It's repackaged, maybe, but it's not really that new. Back in uh, 1990, February, there was a Christian theologian, and I guess I'm using, if I redid my notes, I would put theologian in quotation marks. Anyway, he was a Canadian theologian, Robert Brow, like your eyebrow, B-R-O-W. And he wrote an article in a ministry magazine called Christianity Today. And his premise was a new model way of thinking about Scripture, about God's Word and shifting away from the old model thinking. Well, would you care to guess what the old model thinking was in his viewpoint? The historical evangelical doctrine that has been passed down to us for generation to generation. He was basically ready to pitch that out and go to his new model, as he called it. What did it comprise? What did it deal with? Well, I don't want to drill down too much, but divine wrath. God doesn't get mad. He's, he's a God of love. God's righteousness, God's judgment. Well, God doesn't judge. He's a God of love. Why should he judge us? And the atonement work of Jesus. Well, that's kind of suspect in this fellow's view. And what happened out of some of that thinking, if you want to call it, something that developed called open theism. Open theism. Maybe you've heard of that, maybe not. If you haven't, good, don't worry about it. <laughs> Essentially what that said 
The future is unknown even to God. And thus is anything that happens, any outcome, any eventuality is simply just up in the air. Now, anti-amen. What's that? <laughs> anti-amen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to get a memo from you. Mark. Yeah. Most, most of us have had good teaching over the years, no matter how long we've been a Christian. Some of you, well, maybe a long time. Maybe some of you, you know, not so long. But hopefully we've been in some evangelical church, Bible-believing evangelical church, where the Scripture has been taught properly and according to what the Word says. No more, but certainly no less. And when you hear something like that, mentally it's almost like, what's wrong with that picture kind of thing. And from that open theism belief or movement or thought, if you will, something called the emerging church movement developed out of that back you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. But as I said at the beginning, these are things that are, you know, happening and they ebb and flow over time. But when you think about it, when you go back in Scripture and read, what did the Apostle Paul deal with? Different package, different ribbon, different wrapping, same basic thing. It was the Judaizers, other people attacking him, attacking the early church. Whenever... Anybody, anything, any group, and this is nothing new, you've heard Pastor Scott say this many times. Whenever there's a, a thought, a movement, or whoever that says, yes, there's Jesus, but we need to add something else to it. He is not sufficient. We have to have something else. We have to have um, a balance sheet. We have to have more check marks on the good side. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus <coughs> that offers salvation for each of us. That, that's, that's not quite enough. We have to add more to that. So Paul was, you know, he had to deal with similar things. Like I say, different package, different ribbons, different wrapping, but essentially similar type things. A lot of those churches that 
kind of emerged out of that emerging church movement. They were developed into, well, some people call it seeker-sensitive churches, mega-churches. And unfortunately, they advocated a ministry approach where there wasn't very much sound doctrine and very little scripture. Common themes of that type of gathering dealt with success in life. How's your job going? How's your marriage going? Success in business. Relational type advice. Essentially, they were motivational talks, if you will. And I've heard this time and time again. Several years ago, I thought, well, what's really going on? Now, I didn't go attend one of those things, but I thought, okay, it's worth a little bit of investigation. So I listened to some messages, some sermons. And my conclusion was pretty spot on to what I just said. Very little scripture, very little doctrine, very little teaching. I've been, and those of you that have come out of the workforce and those of you that are still in the workforce, sometimes you uh, go to, um, depends on what it's called, different names, but you go to uh, seminars, workshops, where you practice skills, sets that you might have. How to deal with things in your job, how to deal with co-workers, how to deal with customers. You pay your fee, or your company pays the fee, and you go to that, and you come away and say, well, that's pretty good, I enjoyed that. But what if you come away from one of these places that has the name of God over the door and you come away with not much more than that? What does that do for us? So look at a few scriptures tonight, bounce around closely in the New Testament. Going back to that um, open theism concept, not even God knows what's going on. Not God, God doesn't understand, he can't figure things out, so, you know, it's just whatever happens. Well, what does the writer of Hebrews 13.8 say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If there's one verse in Scripture that should be committed to memory, <coughs> if you already don't, that's certainly one to do it. 
That is the bedrock. God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. Nothing, nothing that happens surprises God. He's not caught off guard. He's not caught off guard. And then if you flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I mentioned Paul a few minutes ago. We'll look at several passages that he wrote, not surprisingly since he wrote about half of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, dropping down to verse 6. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. And what did Paul receive from Jesus? That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Notice that Paul said twice in the short time there, according to the scriptures. And then, number four, he appeared to witnesses. And he appeared to Cephas or to Peter, and then the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. We would say passed away or died. That's the bedrock of the script of the scripture of our belief right there. And Paul again quoted twice, or at least if not quoted, he said that Christ died for our sins and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Not his opinion, not hearsay, not someone told somebody that told somebody that told him, but according to the scriptures. Now again, going back to that open theism concept, if you will, Flip over or flip back to Psalm 139. And we'll look at some verses that are a counterpoint to that idea. Psalm 139. It's a rather lengthy passage, but we've got time, we've got a good start. Verse 1, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. For a word is on my tongue. You know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. The extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty 
I'm unable to reach it. Verse 7, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the right light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And skip down to verse 17. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Those verses say three characteristics of God. He is all-knowing, He is all-present, and He is all-powerful. The three omnis, if you will. Omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. So, Paul dealt with all of these theories, people that tried to take him down, really, and to attack the early church. And as I say, all of those things have been packaged and repackaged and popped up now and then. It's kind of like weeds out here in the grass or your front yard, you treat them and jerk the weeds up and get them out, spray them, dig them, whatever you do, and then two or three weeks later or next season, bang, there they are again. Same thing. There's that ebb and flow. It always seems like there's some undercurrent that wants to challenge God's Word. So how do we deal with or combat false teaching with that? Do we get placards and signs and sandwich boards and march up and down pit school road? Maybe, I don't know. Study the genuine. Study the genuine is one way with several facets to prepare ourselves to do that. Now I've used this illustration in here before. Um, probably don't remember it, which is okay. If you don't, uh, it's brand new. Uh, I don't think there's anybody from my community group here, so those folks get a pass tonight also. But the U.S. Secret Service people, I mean, I'm just a, I'm a history person, I'm a writer, 
historical fiction, and I've always liked history, so indulge me for five, 83 seconds, how's that? Give <laughs> or take a few. When was the legislation signed by what president that started the Secret Service Agency? Time's up. <laughs> Any guess? James and Jay Hoover? What? President Lincoln. President Lincoln signed it. And would anyone care to guess what date he signed it? April 14th, 1865. And what happened that day? He was assassinated that night at Forest on 10th Street. And in the early days of the Secret Service, their mission then as well as now, regardless of how it has expanded, their original mission and still is the protection of the United States currency. Because right after, during and after the Civil War, counterfeit currency was just rampant. And so there, if you read some of the stories and history of how <clears throat> the early agents tracked down the counterfeiters, it's, it would make a good movie. Or maybe even a historical fiction story, who knows. <laughs> but one way that they trained their agents then as well as now They study the genuine currency. <clears throat> Those agents know every single detail about it, how it's made, what comprises it, what it looks like, what it feels like. And as I say, the agency uh, has expanded its coverage. Back in 1902, they officially were able to um, protect the president. Before then, they, there was no, no official presidential protection. And then, in recent years, various other <coughs> protectees, they're called, were added. So they're, they're really stretched pretty thin. But anyway, the agents studied and studied the U.S. currency. So when they come across a piece of counterfeit currency, it jumps out instantly. About 10 years ago, I'm talking about workshops and seminars, <clears throat> uh, I was at a uh, accounting seminar in Arizona when I was still employed and one of the sessions, the last session, 
was um, about counterfeit currency. And the special agent in charge of the Phoenix Secret Service office drove up and gave us a presentation about it. And he brought out a little folder and he had some examples of counterfeit currency. And there were, I don't know, six or eight tables and three or four of us at a table. So he passed some out and he said, by the way, when we get done, I want all that back. <laughs> and as he was explaining and talking, we were looking at it. I'm no, I'm no artist. My artistic talent atrophied back in the second grade. It still is there. But some of those pieces of currency, I think I could have done better. But then there were others that were pretty close. But the tip-off was the field. And I purposely did not look at them as they were passing it you know, from here, I'll have some, I'll give you some, you can have some, and that type of thing. As soon as I felt of that piece of paper, I didn't have to look at it, I could feel. And I'm no expert, I'm like you, you know, if I have a few dollars in my wallet, you know, we'll pee. <laughs> but I knew what real currency felt like but I could tell simply by the feel of what it was. So when those men and women of the counterfeit division deal with that, they know, they know what counterfeit currency is. So bringing that back to our topic of studying the genuine, how do we do that? First is by sound teaching. Flip over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, familiar verses. Like I said, all of these that we're looking at tonight are simply reminders. Hopefully you've seen or heard or read about these before, but reminder, refresher is always good. Starting in verse 9 of Ephesians 4, Paul writes and says, But what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is, all the one, is the, also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally <coughs> gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What for? For the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into a mature person with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That list of persons there sometimes in some circles is called, referred to as the fivefold ministry apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
there for the training of the saints for the work of ministry. And then when that is done, look at what verse 15 says, or verse 14. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, from him, Christ, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual so the ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers are for training the saints for the work of ministry. And that is done by the proper working of each individual part. And that is you and me. We'll look at some other another reference over in Romans in a few minutes but <clears throat> essentially what, what he is saying is in the body this body and the other local body we need each other I need you Jack Dennis I need you Drew, Marianne or up and down intro I need you all and I know, I know this is difficult to grasp, difficult to get your arms around, but you need me. We need each other. Once we have that sound teaching, use what we do know, practice what we know. Flip back a few pages to Romans chapter 12. Again, Paul writing, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think more highly, not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all of the parts do not have the same function in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. <clears throat> According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to one's to the standard of one's faith, if service, in service, if teaching, in teaching, if exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. So essentially what you say there after we are trained and taught by the ministry gifts 
realizing that we do need each other. We are different. We are different. We have different gifts. We have different talents. We have, each of us has at least one spiritual gift. Maybe more, but at least one there. And that's what we need to use. Sometimes, now let's go a different route. Sometimes I don't want to get in too much hot water, but oh well. Think back to your school days. For me, it's way back in the last century, but anyway. When you came to class, grade school, high school, college, graduate school, whatever, or any other <coughs> academic exercise that you might be in a trade school or something like that. And the teacher, the leader, professor, whoever, they shared the, you went over the material. And maybe you took some notes. Maybe you went home that night to your house or apartment or dorm or whatever. You went over those. But maybe some people would just show up to class, sit there, and try to learn by osmosis. <coughs> Doesn't work too good. You have to do the work. You have to do the homework. You have to do the uh, experiments. You have to do the theses. You have to write the term papers, all of those topics. It's kind of the same thing in a church setting. We can come in the doors and sit here. We can come in the doors <coughs> next door on Sunday morning or at a special time for a message. We can listen Sometimes, literally, but figuratively, we need to roll up our sleeves and study the words, study the scriptures. We don't get it by osmosis. You didn't get 10th grade geometry that way. I don't know that I ever did get it, but anyway, I got through it. But you have to work. Thirdly, in our list, be a good witness. Flip back to Matthew chapter 28, familiar verses to us. Beginning in verse 16. Matthew 28, 16. 
the eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always <clears throat> to the end of the age. In the original Koine Greek, that phrase, to the end of the age, literally means to the consummation of the age. And then if you go back to verse 18, where Jesus said after they told him to get there, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. When you lift the twigs and leaves and drill down to the original language, that word all authority, exousia, means power, unrestricted, and absolute, and it's delegated power that he was given. Then so he told them, and he is telling us, to make disciples of all nations. Flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 1, and look at a few verses there. Acts chapter 1, and let's look at verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what he told them. That's what he's telling us now. Let's see. Jerusalem, okay, that wasn't too far away from them. Judea, Samaria, okay, a little farther. Oh, the ends of the earth. That pretty well covers the planet, doesn't it? The known world at that time in our known world. We certainly know more about our world now than they did. Their world was kind of compacted, but the point is still the same. We have to go. We have to share. And he says, you will be my witnesses. The original word there is martis. Does that sound familiar? It's from, it's what we get in English, the word martyr. And that's what it meant, to bear witness by someone's death. (laughs) 
and then sow the seed, sow the word, share the word. Share the good news. Matthew 13, we don't have time to turn there, but that's the parable of the sower. You remember that. Jesus was sharing that with the disciples and others that were listening. There were several types of soil. Rocky soil, the hard soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. The point then, the point now is the same. And I tell the community group this all the time. We are seed sowers, not soil inspectors. We don't know if that soil is thorny or rocky or hard or good doesn't matter. So it all the time, every time that we can. You may try to witness to somebody to share the good news with them and say, oh, I've heard all that Christian stuff before. I don't want to hear about it. But you might be the tenth person that's tried to witness to them. That's okay. Somebody else will come across their path. You may be the 20th person to witness to somebody. Oh, I don't want to hear about this Jesus person you're talking about. I've heard enough about him. I don't need that. But you might be the 21st person. And something in their spirit has been tugged at by the Holy Spirit. And they say, wait a minute, yeah, Jesus, somebody else told me about him. Can you tell me about him? I need to know about him. I need to hear about him. I'm having a tough time. I need to know what this guy is all about. And there's your opening. There's your opening. <coughs> Be seed sowers, not soil inspectors. Study the genuine and the false becomes very clear. Thank you.